podcast last week. Actually, I did record it. I just didn't post it because I wasn't really satisfied with it. I was also sick. I don't know if you can hear my voice, but I was sick Friday, Saturday, pretty sick. And now I'm just like got the runny nose and congestion, but I'm, I feel much better. Also, Heather was in the States. So I had Oscar and Sasha to myself all week, which is kind of a lot because Sasha's got like a million activities I got to take her to. And then Oscar needs to be walked all the time. And Oscar's not great in the house alone. He barks and yells and serves the neighbors. So I take him with us a lot. And it's just a lot of dealing. So that's why. But I had some ideas today and I wanted to uh, get them out there. One kind of funny one that I think about sometimes is if you ever think like the universe is malign or not just malign, but just sort of nihilistic, like it's just atoms and molecules, brain in a vat, simulation, whatever you want to call it, where there's no sort of inherent goodness or, and I don't, I don't mean good, like pleasurable. I mean, good, like benign, you know, sort of for one's true interest, meaningful, maybe would be a good word for it. If you ever think that's the case, or you're kind of questioning that, and of course, horrible things happen to people all the time. And there's not always redemption, right? Some people just die a horrible death. I mean, there's, there's horrible, tragic stories. And for many, many millions and millions of people. So, you know, it's easy to fall into sort of a despairing view of the world. But one thing that just occurred to me the other day is I sit with Oscar on the couch. And as I said, he's a pain in the ass. You got to walk him and feed him. And he, he demands to be played with. Dachshunds are super shrill with their bark and persistent. But, you know, it's like this guy exists. This seven pound, six inch tall, furry, dog is my dog so like he and i deal with each other we're friends and you know he's very loyal he's a bit of an excessive licker he licks excessively sometimes but he's a loyal good friend and like he exists and it's not necessary in the scheme of the universe that a that dogs like that should exist dogs should exist or especially that i should have one that exists that's loyal to me and it just makes me realize like there's got to be something benign that this is my dog. Like this is just obviously a benign thing, this dog. It's just self-evidently a friend of mine. He's limited. He can't talk. He can't pay the bills. He can't do certain things. But, but he's unquestionably a source of friendship, affection, love. He's just obviously that. And it makes you realize like this exists. To me, that sometimes just makes me think like, yeah, of course. And now you might think, well, why are you so fucked up that you need to be reminded of that? I mean, that, that you need a reminder of that. And I remember I took this yoga teacher training. Don't tell anybody because real man does not do yoga teacher training. It was like me and 31 girls. I was single at the time. And uh, I got a lot of female attention in that class being the dude. There was one other guy who was actually a cool guy, but uh, but he had, he worked for like Bank of America and he was always like, forced to not do the trainings on weekends because he got called in for some overnight work or something. So it was mostly me and these girls. And I remember, you know, but it's also that yoga scene in LA, which you can imagine is this like, you know, it's a bit, it's a bit shallow at times. I mean, there were a lot of nice people there. I don't want to disparage them, but I remember there's one discussion and they were talking about positive thinking and all these girls were talking about how, you know, the positive thinking had made such a difference in their lives. And you know, it's really the way to go and all this stuff. And I remember saying, I said this in the class, I said, yeah, but you know, yeah, that, I mean, I'm not saying it's not working for you, but I mean, if you think about it, right, like 6 million Jews died in the Holocaust and, you know, the top 1% most 
positive of those Jews were like what 60,000. So like the 60,000 of the top 1% most positive of the Holocaust Jews also got exterminated and saw their families get exterminated. And even the 600, the 1% of the 1%, the 0.01% most positive Jews in the Holocaust, there were 600 of them, and they too got murdered by the Nazis. And so I just brought that up, you know, not to depress people, but just to, you know, as a sort of counter argument to say, well, clearly the most positive people among those people didn't help them very much. So the idea that po positive thinking may still be good for other reasons. It may, may be a force that helps you deal with certain adversity better because you spin it in a way that is more palatable to yourself rather than spinning it into a despairing way. But plainly, if you think about the Holocaust or anything, you know, it doesn't have to be Jews. It could be any, any group of people, huge, huge groups of people that the 1% or 0.01% most positive among them still met absolutely horrendous fates. And so you, you can't argue that being positive is going to prevent the fate. It may prevent alter your experience of whatever your fate is, but it's not going to prevent the most horrendous fates. And in my view, the, the problem is that if you're super positive and you start having something bad happen, hopefully it's not that bad, but just bad. Someone close to you dies, something bad happens to you financially, you get injured seriously. If you're dependent on positivity for positive results and you get a negative result, is the despair going to be 10 times worse once you get rugged? on your positive thinking. So, so my view is just more, I don't really know, right? I don't really know if it's going to help to have positive thinking because as I said, like it doesn't, it, it seems clear that many positive thinkers have negative outcomes too. So it just doesn't seem to hold up. I couldn't fake the positive thinking because I'm aware that there's a completely, it's completely falsified. So why I can't fake it to that end. And I listened to this, Jocko Willink podcast once. I don't really listen to him much, but I, I heard one and he was talking about some guy who survived torture in Vietnam. And I may have mentioned this before, but I think this is really fascinating. They asked him like, how did you make it through for so long? You know, how did you endure this? And he said, well, I was sure that there'd be a good outcome generally, but I wasn't, I'm paraphrasing. I'm probably not, probably botching this somewhat, but I was never attached to any specific positive outcome. And he said that the guys who were like, sure, they'd be home for Christmas. Oh, I'll be out of here by Christmas, no doubt. When Christmas came and went and they were still in the hole, those guys broke because they had attached their hopes to something that was not reliable. And so this guy said he had, was positive that, I don't know if you say he would be free or that justice would be served or something would come of it. I don't know exactly what he said, but it wasn't tied to specific hopes. And I think that's kind of interesting. Positive thinking, like the universe is benign in some way because I have this dog, but that doesn't mean, knock on wood, that something bad won't happen to my dog. It just means that the fact that my dog exists at all is just enough to prove that, you know, we're not in a nihilistic, empty universe. We're, we're in a universe of meaning. So... Anyway, I was just going, I just went down that road. I, that wasn't part of the last podcast, but it has to do with an interesting guy, this guy Kapil Gupta, who I've mentioned before. And he's this, he's this like performance coach. He's not really a coach. He's more of an advisor to CEOs and athletes and stuff. And he strikes me at least 
gives me the impression of being an enlightened person. And by enlightened, I don't mean like, oh, he's very wise or, you know, he, he may be wise, but actual like light enlightenment, a Buddhist, an enlightened Buddha type of person that has an aura about them. Uh, he strikes me as that, but I could be wrong. Although I have met, in my opinion, a real deal when I described as Korean Buddhist monk that I went to see twice. And it just, the, the characteristic of these people is they're just, they don't give a fuck. And what I mean by don't give a fuck is they don't, they don't act like normal people when you meet them where they're trying to be polite, trying to win you over, trying to disarm you, put you at ease. They just speak. They just say what they want to say. They'll say hello, maybe, but they'll just say what they're thinking and they'll answer your question, maybe. But there's none of that like banter. It's just very direct, very unconcerned with appearances. And so he's kind of like that. And he's extremely harsh on some people. At least it appears harsh because he's not, he's not trying to diss anybody. He's just like, that makes no sense. What you're saying has zero meaning whatsoever. I don't even think you know what you're saying. They'll say stuff like that. And I've heard interviews with him and these interviews that are the interviewer ends up not even releasing. And he just releases the transcript himself on his site Guy asks him a few questions and he's like, no, I don't care if, if your listeners get what I'm saying or not. They will or they won't. He's just so matter of fact. And, and the guy will be like, well, how do you expect people to improve if, if you don't care? He's like, I don't expect them to improve, nor do I care whether they improve. So he just says stuff like that. And the interviewer who, I don't know, maybe running a self-help site or some kind of product that his listeners are looking for hope of some kind, positive thinking, they end up not even releasing the interview because it doesn't on their it doesn't help their brand very much. But I don't care about that. I, I care more about um, you know what's what's actually true. So I'm thinking, well, maybe this guy's right. And this guy sounds pretty dark. He'll be like, you know, you can't. I don't want to paraphrase him. You have to read his stuff. It's Kapil Gupta, and you can find him on Twitter on his website. But you know, sometimes I've thought about it and I've talked, I talked to this Korean Buddhist monk before and I have questions that I would ask some of these people. Like what question would you ask somebody that you thought was enlightened? And what I mean by enlightened again is not, oh, he's read a lot of books or he has a PhD in philosophy or some credential or some achievement, but more just like their very being emanates awareness, self-awareness and clear thought, clear presence so that you're not dealing with somebody who who's saying something out of fear or some other motivation. It's just, it's just a clear perception of what he's seeing. And that's all you're getting. And so, okay, you'd probably want to know what someone like that had to say about things that are of interest or importance to you, not who to start in my fantasy football league. They're not going to know, but how should one handle this situation? How should one handle that situation? How should one, deal with certain things in the world, you know? So the question is, what questions would you ask? So I sort of, before I even get to this, I, I'll backtrack a bit. So one of his big themes in his work is that he doesn't do prescriptions, meaning, you know, wake up in the morning and write in your journal, do this, meditate for five minutes, eat, take these vitamins, do this. And most people who are, you know, advisors, coaches, performance enhancement people have a ton of prescriptions. They have a ton of advice that's do X, Y, and Z, and this will improve you. Stop doing these other things and this will improve you. And he rejects that. And I understood conceptually what he's trying to say, which is kind of like, 
these things that you're trying to do, these hacks, they, they, they may have some effect, but you're not getting it really the root of the truth. You're not really getting it like what is your real problem. Like if you're neurotic and anxious and you're not really satisfied in your life and you're not really succeeding in the way that you want to in your life, you know, taking this supplement or writing in your journal, it's not really addressing the core problem of like, what does this anxiety consist in? Like, what is it? What is the problem? Like, what is your actual problem? Like, what is the thing that is keeping you from yourself? What is the thing that is the unhappiness? Like, what is it? Do X, Y, and Z from a state of unhappiness is not going to remove the unhappiness. I think it was the Dalai Lama, but it might have been someone else. They said, you, and maybe Einstein, I think I saw an Einstein quote and a Dalai Lama quote, and they were similar. And the Dalai Lama said, you can't solve a problem on one level of consciousness from the same level of consciousness that the problem arose. You need to solve it from a higher level of consciousness. And I think Einstein said something similar, like you can't solve, you know, I think a math or physics problem from the level of thinking from which that problem arose. If you're stuck, you have to solve it from a different level of thinking, a different kind of thinking. And so if your problem is I'm anxious or I'm not doing well at this and I want that, and I want to get this. And so what am I going to do about this to get rid of this lack or get this thing I want? And you find the guru who tells you what to do. And from that mindset, you're doing this thing the guru tells you. You're, you're on the same level of the problem in trying to chase a solution. And again, I'm paraphrasing and I could be botching it. So this is my version of what I've read from him. And I've only read the free stuff. I've never paid for his stuff. If you're, if you're trying to solve it from this level, it's just not going to work. And I was walking, this is what last week's podcast was about, just to the track the other day um, before I got sick. And it just occurred to me, I felt like I realized what he meant by it for real, not just intellectually, that I started to feel like the sense of anxiety or the sense of discontent in myself and that, you know, all the things I'm doing, whether you meditate or run or write columns or speak on a podcast, like that's, it's nothing wrong with any of that. It's just that it's, that's, if you do it from the level of, oh, I better go do this, that decision maker in your mind that says, oh, this is good for me. I'm going to go do this. It's never going to solve the fundamental problem. And so everyone's attending to this sort of peripheral problem, you know, this sort of, well, how do I improve this? How do I optimize that? But the person saying, how do I optimize that in the mind is not even, you're not even at the problem of why you even need to optimize anything. Like why you're even so discontent that you're chasing all this stuff in the first place, that you're worried about that the word optimizing even comes into your mind. There's something below that. There's something more fundamental than that, that is just being totally avoided. And I felt like I connected with that for a split second. Anyway, that's just sort of the background. But coming back to what I was saying is, I had this sort of, I guess, sort of a daydream imagination of interviewing the guy because I hear the guy interviewed and the, the interviewers are very nervous. And I understand why, because the guy's just so blunt and you're so exposed for all your like bullshitting and, and niceties and all your neuroses are just like held up to a mirror. And it's just kind of embarrassing because you're doing your shtick that everybody does socially in front of somebody who doesn't give a shit. And so it's this kind of awkward interview with him. But I was like, if I were interviewing him, you know, how would it go? 
could I even like almost like GPT it, which if you couldn't, but I was like in my mind, how, you know, what would happen and what would I ask him? What's the most important thing? And for me, the most important question to ask someone like that would be, how do you respond both psychologically and outwardly to a world where you feel like powerful psychopaths are intending harm for you, your friends, and your family? How do you deal with that? It's very easy to say, uh, the truth is in me, my anxiety, my discomfort with this. Yeah, I can process that. And maybe if I did process it, I'd, I'd be in a different place and have, have more clarity of, of the answer to this question. But you want to say, what did you do? Did you take the jab? Did you follow along? What do you do when they say you have to lock down? What's your stance toward authoritarianism? Are you concerned about it? Am I being paranoid? Is this beneath an enlightened person, these kind of concerns? So this is the kind of thing I'd want to ask him. So I started to imagine that I was asking him and what he would say. And I kind of got this dialogue going in my head that was like, I asked that question and he says, you know, I say something like, you know, did you take the mRNA shot? I mean, you're enlightened. You, you must know this is bad. Did you take it? And I don't know what he would say, but I can imagine him say something like, what does it matter to you whether I took a particular medicine or not? I'd say, because I want to know what a person who's free of, ostensibly at least, free of these biases and tribal allegiances, who's thinking clearly, like, what would you do under these circumstances? And how, when did you know? You know, I, I want to I sort of test my own understanding, my own read on the world. And he'd be like, but why do you need to test your understanding of the world? You have your understanding of the world. Why are you asking me what I did? And I would say, because you're clear in many ways, and I'm trying to understand what you would do, a person who's clear would do, just the same way I might check some of my fantasy football picks against you know, the fantasy pros or something to make sure that you know, I'm not doing something insane and starting one guy over the other, that you know, I want to see what the market is telling me, I might want to just double check, like a sanity check. Like, okay, like I'm pretty first principle oriented in, I think, in dealing with processing reality. But of course I should use, you know, I could use sort of another person that could, you know, maybe give me a perspective. And I would imagine, again, I'm making this up, that he would say, so you want a perspective other than your own on how to respond to events in the world. And I'd be like, yeah, I'd like to have another perspective other than my own. And, and I can imagine him saying something like, well, why does that matter? Like why? And I'd say, because I want to double check, but why do you need to double check and say, because I'm fallible, I'm human. I could, I could be off base on something like this. And I could see him saying, but what if I were off base on it too? How would that help you? And I'd say, well, I don't think you're off base you know, or you could be off base, but just be less likely that we are both independently off base. And he might say something like, but maybe you're just off base. And how do you know that your judgment of who's on base and off base is valid? And I'd say, well, I don't, but I've met, you know, certain people who seem to have this presence about them. And I feel like that's a, in my intuition and my experience, that's a real thing. So you're trusting your intuition and experience that that's a real thing about who's enlightened, but you're not willing to trust your intuition and experience about what's really going on in events in the world. Now, again, I, I don't know that he would say any of this, but 
this is kind of more Socratic than it is um, enlightened guy. But the point is, whatever the specifics are, I sort of in my mind realized that, the, that, that whatever it is he'd specifically say, that the issue isn't what he would do or say. The issue is it's me looking to somebody else to tell me an authority of some kind, whether it's an enlightened person or a person, you know, other people look for people with degrees or uh, people with a lot of followers or people who believe all the right things in other areas. They're looking to other people to validate them and tell them, yes, you're doing good. You're right. You can double check yourself on this. And isn't that sort of the source of the issue is that, you know, I feel how I feel about it. Like I, I'm outraged by it often, you know, and I'm trying not to do any fake outrage. I'm, I feel viscerally outraged. And maybe if I got really in touch with the feeling, you know, that the sort of the fear and the anxiety would give way to more just purpose, like pure purpose and less losing sleep over it, but more a sense of resolution, a sense of action, resolution. I guess the word is resolve. It would give way to resolve. But if I'm constantly thinking about the WEF and all these plots and all these things and how, where am I going to live and how am I going to protect myself? You know, I, I'm, I don't have resolve. I have anxiety. I have sort of a scatterbrain scatter. Oh, I'll go buy some more bottled water and sardines and, Oh, I'll, I'll try to hurry up on this uh, land. I'll try to, you know, you're just trying to do all this stuff. And again, there's nothing wrong with any particular action. It's just that it's coming from a sense of anxiety and fear rather than centered resolve based on, okay, this is what I believe. This is how I feel. And I'm going to act. And when you look to anybody, no matter how enlightened they seem, I think that the reality is you're just divorcing yourself from that place of resolve and devoted action. You know, the possibility of being like, this is what I believe. This is what I'm about. This is what I'm going to do. And not like some shallow bullshit. This is what I'm about. That sounds super shallow. I mean, just it's just coming from a, a place of truth of what you actually believe and want to do. And so I kind of just in my mind realized like, I don't really need like that dude, if he's real, which I think he is legit, that if you interacted with someone like that, they'd probably just direct you back to why do you need my approval? Why do you need someone else to sign off on this? Maybe there's a market for fantasy football or stocks and sometimes the market's totally wrong anyway, but don't you need to just get clear on what you want and then do it and then live with the results, live with the consequences of your choice of how to handle something that was meaningful to you. And so that kind of resolved that for me, not resolved how to handle everything, but just, it just goes into, you know, you're, you're the adult, you're the boss. And I don't mean most people who are just adults are just pretending they they're adults in appearance, but they're taking their cues from their peers, from what somebody with a degree says, from what someone else important says, what somebody they want to be like is doing and saying they don't, they're like, I'm the boss. So here's what I want to do, but it's coming from outside them. It's coming from somebody else. And so I think that's what would happen is I would want urgent. I want an urgent answer to this question is how does one deal with a world that wants to cause me and my family and my friends harm 
and you know, not become an unhinged crazy person? How does one deal with this? And the answer is, well, how do you deal with it? You know, how do you get in touch with that feeling that these you know, so-called wanting to harm you people are instilling in you? How do you get in touch with that feeling of anxiety and fear and distaste and get in touch with it so that you're not avoiding it and running around scatterbrained? And then once you're in touch, what do you want to do about it? How are you going to deal with it yourself? Not because someone else is doing it. So anyway, that's, uh, that's kind of what I was thinking. And that's kind of, uh, oh, and that, and that leads to me. Okay. So that was just that, that was a whole section, but the other thing I wanted to talk about, and I hope this podcast doesn't come through too nasally because I am, uh, my voice sounds a little nasally to me, but the other thing I read this, uh, Igor Chudov, uh, Substack post. I follow Igor on Substack. I read some of his posts and he's pretty good. I know, I, I feel like the guy's smart and sincere, which are the two requirements for me to read somebody's post, but I don't always agree with him. And he has this latest post called Catastrophic Contagion. No, sorry. That's not the title of his post. That's the title of the Bill Gates run simulation of the next. This is real. This is not a conspiracy. This is actually happening. With Johns Hopkins, he's running a simulation called Catastrophic Contagion. He already did run this in October 23rd, 2022 in Belgium. He ran Catastrophic Contagion. And what Igor points out is that there was a Gates simulation called Event 201 in 2019 about a pandemic and they gamed it out. And of course, a couple of months later, COVID hit. So he's saying, what is this guy cooking up now? You know, what's the next thing? And you, there's that clip that you probably know about where Gates says, oh, the next one will really get their attention. And he kind of smirks at the end of it. Now, apparently this uh, catastrophic contagion simulation involved a virus or pathogen that was deadly to young, healthy people, not older people and or not just older people. And that this was much more serious, had a much higher fatality rate. And what would you do then? And I think the first instinct would be, oh shit, they're going to make something worse than COVID and this is going to be the excuse for everything. But I actually thought about this and I said, no, 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 there's already, there's already something that is doing what this new catastrophic contagion conference, fictional hypothetical pathogen purports to do. There are already people in their 20s and kids and 40s dying, dropping dead suddenly already at a ridiculous rate. If you follow the ethical skeptic or Dr. James Olson, Dr. James Olson is mostly anecdotal. He just goes, this person died, this 18-year-old, this 12-year-old, this 15-year-old, this 17-year-old hockey player, this 22-year-old football player died, died, died. He just lists them over and over and you're like, what the fuck? And then ethical skeptic is a guy who does serious data work to put together the pieces of what is the non-COVID excess deaths, non-fentanyl, not non-suicide excess deaths. And it's huge. Edward Dowd did a big study on the insurance companies and how it's younger people dying. The excess mortality of COVID in 2020 was all people over 80. The excess mortality now is people from 20 to 60. And that's not COVID. And so what is it? Now, the obvious hypothesis, the obvious one would be the vaccine. This excess death started in early 21, right when the vaccine came out, and it's persisted since, and it's not going away. And then we're hearing all these people, Celine Dion has this crazy, what is it, like compartment syndrome or something? And 
course, that was one of the side effects in the Pfizer trials. It's extremely rare to get that through natural course. Cancers are way, way up. They're more aggressive. They're faster. And of course, all these heart attacks, that soccer writer, the Grant Wool, the uh, prominent soccer writer who just died in uh, Qatar. And people are so in denial that they are positing that the Qatari government assassinated them. And you say, so you think the Qatari government spent billions and billions of dollars to build this World Cup and draw positive attention to itself and put on this entire event. And yet they're going to throw that all away and destroy all the goodwill by murdering a U.S. journalist because he, what, wrote some boilerplate critique of Qatar that everybody had. It's actually Qatar. I don't know why I'm saying Qatar. My, my daughter always says Qatar, and I correct her, Qatar. And then she laughs at me and says I'm wrong, but it is Qatar. But you think Qatar really is going to kill a, an American journalist because he made some boilerplate critique of their obvious human rights problems that everybody's been saying, and then he wore a rainbow T-shirt to the game? I mean, seriously? You, they actually think that and there's no evidence of any foul play. He died in the press booth of an apparent heart attack. So it's just so far-fetched, but the denial is so extreme. But the silver lining is people are, are realizing like it's not normal for a ostensibly healthy 49-year-old man to just drop dead. It's just not normal. And the assassination conspiracy theory is preposterous. I know a lot of conspiracy theories have been coming true, but that one's preposterous. But you're getting to the point where people are noticing that these guys are dying. This is not normal. And the dam is about to break. There's too many people dropping dead or having horrible side effects. Justin Bieber and Katy Perry with that eye thing and, you know, celebrity, Celine Dion. I mean, it's not just, it's not like COVID where you're like, well, who, who's dying of COVID? Like I didn't know anyone who died of COVID. I didn't know any celebrities really that died of COVID. And here there's like tons of people, you know, who've had side effects. Now there's tons of famous people that are having severe side effects and, and people dying and, and people are aware of it and they're going to rationalize it one way or the other. But as more people start having problems, this, this, is, this is a big issue. And the liability, if it turns out to be the vaccine, which is the obvious choice, is incalculable. It's off the scale. And think about who's culpable and liable. I mean, all the media networks, all the network personalities that, that promoted this stuff, all the celebrities who promoted it, all the doctors, all the hospitals, all the politicians, all the heads of state. I mean, there is so much money and power that is complicit in this, if this is true, that they cannot let, they cannot let this happen. So what would you do if you're that? I mean, you're kind of fucked. You can gaslight a little bit, but the truth is coming out. But you know what would be genius? And it doesn't even matter if you think Bill Gates did this or whoever did this, but simulate an even worse pandemic that does all the things that are already happening. Blame it on the pandemic and then create another vaccine for that thing, or you don't even have to, but they probably will. More money, more control, more reason to make you have a pass, a vaccine pass and control you. But basically find a new pathogen that you can test for that's contagious, that can ostensibly explain away all these young people dying. And then all the young people who are cavalier about, oh, it's, it can't happen to me, like it's just old people, they'll be very scared. And because so many people took the jab, young, healthy people, and it seems like there's often a delay between taking it and the actual effects, I would expect people, especially if they're taking their boosters, making it worse, to keep having these heart attacks and cancers and, and ill effects if it is indeed the jab, which I think that's the obvious candidate. Now, is it proven? No. Is it extremely likely in my opinion? Yes. 
Maybe your mileage will differ. Look at the look at the sources. Do your own research. I mean, honestly, you're not going to get an honest answer for someone who's from someone who's complicit in it. And so, get a plague to cover for the actual cause of all this death and absolve them. Moreover, once this plague happens, you release a vaccine, and of course, the same people want to take it and not take it, and then you can blame the people not taking it on the spread of this thing. And so now, not only do you you know absolve yourself from the horrific, incalculable criminal and civil liability from the disaster. But you also can blame your political enemies, people who didn't take the vaccine. And then, of course, the third thing is all of the measures that make it easier to govern and control people and deal with the collapsing financial system are back in play. Lockdowns, you know, vaccine passes, masking. Masking is more of symbolic, but compliance. It's a compliance test. All of these things are now back in play. So this is perfect. So I started thinking, I'm not worried about the actual plague. I'm worried about the actual plague covering for the agenda, which is control. And I think that's what's going to happen. And there's a fourth silver lining of not doing an actual, why it's likely they're bluffing on this and using it for the reason I said, is, you know, Gates caught COVID. You know, Joe Biden caught COVID. Trump caught COVID. They all caught it. Fauci caught COVID a couple of times. So if you're going to release a pathogen and you're old and it's deadly, you're really risking that you take yourself out. And they don't want to do that, right? None of those guys died from COVID, none of them. So the, the idea of having, you know, engineering a, a really dangerous one would be kind of stupid because you can't guarantee that you don't get it. So engineering one that's contagious and testable and that explains away the existing horrific pandemic of excess death, to me, that would be the order of business. So that was just an idea. I posted about it on my uncensored tweets. I didn't put this on Twitter because I feel like you have to already see that there's excess death. You have to already see that the excess death started when the vaccines were rolled out. You have to see those two things. I don't want to argue with people who, you know, are just can't accept just some basic facts. So I, I didn't want to put this theory on Twitter because, you know, a lot of people follow me. They don't agree with that. And I, I don't care that they don't agree. I just don't really want to hash it out with those people who are still sort of in the dark on so much of this stuff. And so I'm just doing it on my site, but I'm going to start doing more on the uncensored tweets tab at chrislist.com. Um, I would do it on the Substack, but Substack is email. And I mentioned, I think a couple of weeks ago that you can only tolerate so much email in your inbox from one person, but I can maybe make this into some sort of feed where people want to check it out. They can follow it uh, or not. But I just, I just feel like there's certain thoughts that I want to get out that Twitter is not the ideal medium for. Um, so there's that. So that's, that's my theory of what this is about. And I expect that to be the playbook that this winter you're going to hear of another contagion. And that's going to explain away all of these uh, died suddenly things because this thing is coming out. Now, I think monkeypox was supposed to be that. I think that was supposed to be that, but it just never really took. It failed. They, something went wrong. Like it only was gay men that had it. There wasn't enough of the population that had it. I don't know. I think they were trying to do that. It failed. This one may fail too, but I think we should at least, and I'm not saying I'm right. I could be wrong. This is obviously speculation, but I think we should be open to the possibility that that's what this is about and be ready to be like, fuck that. No way. No lockdowns. You know, you just want a scarier pandemic to troll us, explain away what, what you guys actually did. All right. Last thing I'm going to just talk about real quick is just this uh, Elon Musk release of everything. I like what he's doing. Obviously I wrote that post that Elon Musk is the best candidate to be the antichrist. I still believe that even more. I feel like it's playing out like I thought. He's definitely a, a much better alternative to the Gates Schwab 
people and, you know, the sort of Neuralink where you can sort of have your own customized life with a brain chip is much more appealing, even though I don't want to do that, than eat bugs and own nothing, right? How about live in a, in a pod and eat bugs, but have a brain chip in there that makes you think you're eating lobster and sushi and, and, you know, and that you're living in a mansion. That's, that's a better pitch and do it voluntarily because um, your life is miserable. And this is sort of a, a free pass to paradise. Never mind that what makes you human is not uh, the pleasures that you experience, but probably something deeper, but that's why he's more dangerous, right? He's the, he's the more, he's giving you a better product than WEF Bill Gates people. Those people are a bit heavy handed, but put that in the back burner for now. Front burner is, is Elon Musk releasing these Twitter files. And, you know, there's a lot of political back and forth of, oh, it's a nothing burger. Oh, this is big. And, you know, we already knew this. Oh, it's, it, it used to be, it's a conspiracy theory that they're suppressing voices from the right. Uh, it's a conspiracy theory. And now that it's proven that it's true, they're like, everyone knew this. It's a nothing burger. The funny thing is you can't even name a prominent establishment media person or, or even just like a crazy person like Eric Fang Ding that had his post suppressed for disinformation. Yet it was only a certain view. People who were skeptical of the narrative got suppressed or people who were on a certain political views got suppressed. And so that's just a fact. It was a conspiracy theory that was, was actually proven true. And it's not a nothing burger because it, that's just gaslighting to say that because they wouldn't have conceded that it were true until it were proven. And then immediately when it's proven true, they jump to, well, we all knew that. So they don't, they don't want to, you know, actually suffer the consequences of that. They want to pretend like they were agreeing with you that it was true before, which wasn't the case, but I don't really care that much about the political back and forth. It's more like what is going to come of it. And Elon Musk tweeted, my pronouns are prosecute Fauci and people were clutching their pearls over that. But I would assume that he has some damning material that he's seen that hasn't yet been released that would make him say that. And everyone knows to the extent, you know, the COVID, I don't think it's, I think it's hard to know how many people COVID killed, but I do think we know COVID killed, at least killed a lot of old people. And that whoever was responsible for the gain of function research on it should be prosecuted. And calling for people to be prosecuted, by the way, is not called a violence. I mean, they may meet a violent end if they get, what is proven that they did, they get what's come to them after it's proven what they did. But prosecution, it, it, it entails violence because you, you know police come and seize you if you don't turn yourself in. But you know that's due process. This is you're not calling for vigilante violence. When you're calling for prosecution, you're calling for an orderly arrest based on charges and due process and you know, protections of the system. But you you can call for prosecution of people who deserve, there are people that deserve to be prosecuted. So I think that's pretty obvious. I, ha I personally haven't found anything new from this. I mean, it's been proven, which is okay. Yeah. The shit that I thought is true, but I'm waiting to see something that I didn't realize like how bad it was. And again, I don't necessarily trust Elon Musk completely either. I mean, who does he have a deal with? Who is he going to spare? Who behind the scenes is he like, look, let's give up Fauci. It's going to be a huge win for me and consolidate power for someone else. And, or is he just, you know, he's a Gen Xer. He's, I think he's a few months younger than me. And he just is like, fuck him. This is what I want to do. I'll hire some security and see how it goes. I don't know. I don't know if he has an agenda. I'm just saying, I don't trust him. I don't necessarily think he's doing something diabolical, but I'm just saying that I just don't know.
So I'm very curious how this plays out. I'm glad it's being done, but um, I don't think you should trust an Elon Musk. Um, it's just an open question, like what, what he's doing and why. But it is possible that he's doing it out of principle. It's possible that people do things out of principle at times. But even people who do things out of principle can also abuse their power. And it was interesting because he uh, tweeted a clip from The Return of the King, Lord of the Rings trilogy, where Saruman, who goes to the dark side, is fighting Gandalf and throws some like fireballs at Gandalf and, his, and the people he's with. And Gandalf smashes his staff down and says, your staff is broken, Saruman. And Saruman's staff, which is the source of power, shatters. And all of a sudden, Gandalf is in white. Saruman was the white. So Gandalf sort of exceeded Saruman, became more powerful. And Saruman then gets stabbed to death by his minion. You know, I guess Elon Musk tweeted that, like the minions of Saruman and Saruman are going down. Your staff is broken. Your ability of the legacy media, say, to just gaslight and lie and cover things up is is gone. The power to influence is gone. You're, you're becoming more irrelevant. And I like that, but not that he'll see this response, but I responded just for onlookers. Remember, Gandalf refused the ring. So I, I love the Lord of the Rings, but remember the Gandalf when Frodo's like, you take the ring, Gandalf, you're more powerful than me. You destroy it. I'm, I'm just a hobbit. And Gandalf says, get that away from me. I'd be way too tempted. I'm too powerful. It's too dangerous. And so it doesn't even matter that Gandalf's a good guy. And he says, I would use it for good. I would use it out of pity and it would overcome me. And I would try to save everybody and I would do horrible damage. I would become like the Dark Lord himself. And that's kind of the trajectory in the Antichrist piece that I wrote that I could see for Elon Musk. Maybe it is principled. Maybe it is real. Maybe he does make huge inroads in destroying some of the malign forces that are that have been acting on our world for the last decades maybe he does but then what so anyway just leave that as a final thought i guess that's it it's long enough still a little sick so i won't go into anything else till next time